Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's happy to take on and wrestle to the ground the biggest issues in property. And today we're taking a look at Savills' annual Impacts Research Programme, which this year is focusing on how the world of real estate in all its guises and for a whole host of reasons has reached a tipping point. In many ways, COVID-19 has been the ultimate homeworking experiment tackling climate change should be at the top of every property owner's and occupier's agenda. As companies re-evaluate their long-term need to attract and retain the best talent, the office space will be critical to organizational growth and success. Add to the costs, add to risk, the need for resilience, you may see an accelerated move out of China. I'm Guy Ruddle, and in the next 20 minutes or so, we'll be hearing from the UK, the US and Asia about how massive economic, social and environmental change is going to lead to fundamental shifts in the way the world of property operates. But let's start with the two people who jointly lead the Impacts programme. They're both directors of Savills World Research, Sophie Chick and Paul Tostevin. Paul, let's start with you. Um, uh, as I said, the sort of the concept of real estate, the real estate world being at a tipping point uh, goes beyond coronavirus. But coronavirus is obviously a massive factor. Have you sort of got straight in your head what you think the main ramifications of it, of it are going to be? You're right. It is ha- having and will have a, a huge impact. Um, that said, the world was already undergoing a lot of upheaval before the emergence of COVID-19. But what it has done is accelerate some pre-existing trends while others have been brought to the fore. One obvious one is working from home. So in many ways, COVID-19 has been a bit of a the ultimate homeworking experiment. And I think actually a lot of people have realized that it, it is possible to, to do pretty much the, their normal role without having to do the daily commute, certainly for those of us lucky enough to be able to to work from home. Um, And certainly things like mass adoption of video conferencing services have have really helped that. Um, But we we do think the office is still going to play a vital role. I mean, it it does a lot of what we crave. It's a sort of centre for culture, community, connection, and a hub for creation. And do you think that this, once we're... Once we're back to normal or a new normal, as everyone seems to be calling it, do you think that this change is going to be driven more by workers or by companies or perhaps by, you know, uh, landlords? I think it's a bit of both. I think um, from from a company perspective, it, you know, it's a good kind of opportunity to reset, um, think about long term employee well-being. Um, organizational resilience as well. I mean, if you if you don't have all your employees in one major office location, that's that's potentially an advantage. And actually, also thinking about kind of environmental footprint as well. Um, uh, you know, a real potential to to make strides there. Um, but I guess thinking from a from more of a, an employee perspective, actually, it kind of it flips the equation. So suddenly that the home becomes much more important and you know we're already seeing having spoken to, to colleagues around the world and various surveys we've done um that you know the things people are looking for from their homes in the future might might start to change um will we see more people looking to to live in out of town locations um village rural environments and you know even the, the type of properties people are looking for 
home offices suddenly going to become very important, as indeed is great Wi-Fi, great internet, um, and you know things like um, personal you know, home outdoor space as, as well. I've said that the, 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 your impacts program is all about tipping points, and, and we'll come on to others in a minute. But do you think this one is different? simply because of the speed with which it's hit us and you know, others have been coming down the track we've been able to see them from a from a distance uh yeah i mean you know aside from all these sector implications the big shock that this will cause is an economic one um and certainly covid19 shown how quickly the world can change um you know when we started planning impacts we we didn't expect to global pandemic uh, to, to be on our list uh, but but actually I think there's there's lessons to be learned and it, you know it shows how quickly governments can act in the face of an immediate threat with the large-scale responses we've seen to securing jobs and, and businesses and, and our health and it, it does kind of make you think if if you know things can be done this quickly for this what about some other impending issues climate change is one um, you know in many ways it, it is COVID-19 but in slow motion and that threat is, is very real and potentially even more devastating. Let's talk to Sophie Chick about that. Uh, how, Sophie, it's, you know, if you were, as Paul says, if you were sort of betting without the favourite and you were looking for tipping points, I guess climate change would be, would be top of the list. That would be where, you, where your money would go. Um, it's changed a lot in the last year, hasn't it, the climate change issue? You know, with all these you know, student protests and Greta and, you know, some big weather events, do you, think it's, do you think it's become sort of more top of mind than it was? I think the, the relationship between real estate and, and climate change, to properly understand that and realise why we're having this focus on it, we need to understand the impact of the industry on the environment. Um, and this is something we look at in the report, the fact that the latest data is showing that the building and construction sector accounted for around 39% of carbon emissions in 2018 across the globe. Um, and emissions actually increased 2% from 2017. So this is the latest data we have, and it shows that emissions from the sector not only are a large part of our global emissions, but are also still increasing. So this focus on climate change worldwide, but also focus within the real estate sector is inevitable. And it, it really means that tackling climate change should be or is already at the top of every property owner's and occupier's agenda. Yes, I was going to ask yeah, how the the sector is is dealing with it. But you know, I suppose you know, with the figure of, of actually, you know, the, the energy usage is going up and rather than down would, would suggest that generally not dealing with it very well but is is do, are there sort of pockets where it where where people are are really dealing with it well and are really you know gripping the issue yeah and i think what's interesting about looking at it in this context of this program within impacts is that we're looking at it from a global point of view and i think what's really important to remember is that the attitudes to climate change vary significantly across the globe. I suppose the positive signs is actually there are a lot of global players within real estate and we're seeing the vast majority of them putting sustainability at the forefront of that strategy. So that will really help drive change. 
Um, I think the other thing to consider is not just sort of the reaction of the industry, but also changes in policy. So we're seeing an increasing number of policies that's regulating the energy performance of new buildings being introduced all over the world. And this is a really powerful um, way to address future emissions growth. And do you think that's the the key, that actually the industry, the, you know, the, like all industries really, I mean, you know, the re- real estate sector is not, not massively different from others in this respect, but that... They, the people do lots, but really the the the, the driving force has to come from uh, regulation and targets. Is, is, is that the way you think it'll get? It'll have to be. I, I think it's a combination. It's not just going to come from from policy. It's going to come from industry. It's got to be a combination of all of these forces um, coming together. I mean, what we're definitely seeing is that within the industry, it's no longer considered about just doing the right thing, making sure the building meets the local regulation. But the other concern is actually for the resilience of the actual buildings from the physical risks of climate change. And it's not just sort of bits of the of the life cycle, right? It's it's everything, is it, from planning through to to um, you know final buildings and the way you manage them and old buildings and new buildings. I mean, it just seems like such an enormous challenge, frankly. Definitely. And and that's the thing, sort of climate change and how to become more sustainable. Um, it needs to be integrated into the full property lifestyle. So from acquisition to disposal with everything in between, you know, there's a real focus on green finance. The insurance firms will play a part, who you lease to, the requirements um, from that, the management. You could go on and on. It essentially will touch every single aspect of how we do business. So, Sophia, I want to talk to you about sort of new technology in the way we build buildings and the way we manage existing buildings in a second. But as you say, it touches everything, this this thing, including areas like food security and water security, two massive issues. So let's grab a word with Emily Norton, who is Anyone who listens to Real Estate Insights will know Emily. She's a, practically the co-presenter of this of this podcast, head of Savills Rural Research. Emily, how are you? It's a joy to be back here again, Guy. Nice, nice to speak to you. And you've been looking at these issues of food food security and water security uh, for Impacts Twenty Twenty. Why are they so important to real estate? So Sophie just made a really interesting comment. She said, um, we're looking at the impact of industry on the environment. And, and a lot of the way that we analyse property at the moment is sort of trying to work out what kind of impact we're having. But when we look at things through the uh, sort of you know lens of food and water, what we see is the impact of the environment on the industry. And does that does it work sort of both ways? That, that you, you have to be, as an industry, as, as a sector, Real estate has to be careful about how it uses those resources, but it also has to be careful about where it puts itself. Absolutely. And if you're looking at global risk and increasingly um, the frameworks that, you know, investors act without borders, they're looking um, at where they can get interesting returns. And so understanding where risk is um, and understanding how risk is impacting on uh, property portfolios in different ways um, begins to give a more nuanced approach to to where investment goes to. You know, at, at micro level, you might be looking at putting up, you know, a commercial property uh, in a particular centre, but understanding uh, how that urban centre operates in the context of its environment, you know, 
cities don't feed people countryside does and you've ranked everybody on you've sort of measured different countries uh where what's well what's number one you know number one um is actually a country which has come out of the whole coronavirus um situation in, in a very resilient fashion as well and that's new zealand um you know in export, oh, they're going to be awfully smug they're going to be really smug uh, and you know in terms of you know um, overseas investment looking looking to target food systems. Well, they've been the the focus of a, of a lot of Chinese activity, and so you know understanding how their entire food system works in order to meet an export economy, but the advantages that brings to people who are living there. Uh, it, it, it's a really interesting dynamic. Emily, thank you very much for that. Sophie, we, we, we were, uh, we, we, I was saying a minute ago that I wanted to talk to you about technology and everything and, and things like construction methods and resource management and all that sort of stuff. I, I, are there things that you can see that are sort of riding over the hill to the rescue in terms of technology, your modern construction styles and things like that? Yeah, so I think there's not going to be one single development in technology that saves us all from this uh, climate crisis. But technology is definitely, uh, in our view, going to play a huge part um, in helping us reduce emissions within the sector. And as you rightly mentioned, construction is definitely a focus because at the moment, traditional methods of construction do produce high levels of emission. So what we're seeing is there is an increased amount of interest in modern methods of construction known as MMC, um, which is essentially building properties in factories um, under controlled conditions, which can improve energy efficiency and also generate significantly less waste. Um, so this isn't a new a new sort of technology is actually already widely adopted um, in a number of countries. So, for example, Sweden already build 45% of their new homes off site. Um, and we're expecting for a number of countries, including the UK, that we're going to see um, an increase in this method. So that's sort of that's that sort of uh, a new build. And I guess a lot of residential and, and presumably commercial property as well. But what about sort of inside the building, particularly inside office buildings? How, how are we going to get those to be much more, you know, uh, environmentally friendly? Yeah, so another topic that we look at um, to do with technology addressing and hopefully um, tackling the climate crisis um, is the need for having robust data on exactly this sort of thing um, to understand how a building is performing, um, including its environmental performance. So, for example, this could be an office building with monitors and sensors that are able to capture live data streams. And having this data means that we can learn more about the performance of the building, change the way that it's managed, and then achieve efficiencies and reduce emissions. So really, data is going to be so important going forward. Sophie, thank you uh, for that for now. We'll hear more from Sophie and from Paul a little bit later. But we were talking about offices uh, just then with Sophie. And we've talked quite a bit recently about office life in the UK after coronavirus on Real Estate Insights. It's clear that a lot is going to change. But what about in the US? Well, Sarah Dreyer is head of Savills America Research. She's in Washington and we can talk to her now. Hello, Sarah. How are you? Hello, I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. Do you think the future American office will look very different from the current one? 
well, I think it's too soon to know what the, the exact impact will be on office demand. Um, some organizations and as organizations are preparing and in some cases already returning to work, there's going to be a number of common themes that are emerging. And while COVID-19 is certainly a catalyst that could accelerate or heighten some office occupier trends that we're seeing, uh, a number of these trends were already well, well underway that existed before the crisis and that are going to extend beyond the crisis once we're on the other side. I think most noticeably, as far as kind of state, state of office, I'd, I'd noticed the trends of uh, talent attraction and retention, um, which employee well-being and safety is a part of, as well as space design, and the adoption of technology and flexibility, both within organizations themselves and within the buildings they occupy, as we've uh, mentioned throughout the discussion. And are we going to have to fit offices out differently? I mean, you know, at the sort of extreme ends, are we going to have to have technology inside offices that mean we don't have to touch things so we're not sharing surfaces you know with, with ourselves and other people and things like that or, or is that just is that getting a little bit too extreme no I, I don't think that's getting too extreme and particularly until there is a vaccine in place and we really are continuing to practice social distancing here um, this is something that building owners and landlords can um, can respond to and adopt by you know exactly to your point um implementing, you know, contactless features on doors, elevators, and appliances to really limit um, interaction between their tenants and in the communal spaces within buildings, um, as well as adopting, you know, advanced building systems to promote air circulation and quality. And getting back to what what Sophie was speaking to, really adopting data-driven building management systems um, that allow for the transparency and accountability that's going to be required in this um, kind of strange return to work period. You know, it's easy for us to talk about all this stuff now because we're in the middle of this coronavirus crisis and, you know, imagining a a world beyond it. Is is there a possibility actually, though, that, you know, in two years' time, three years' time, it's all died down and actually we've just gone back to the way we were? Uh, I think in some regards, you know, when when the... um you know, ability is there for us to return to what was considered, you know, business as usual. Some of that will return. Um, but this experience, it's going to have long lasting, you know, impacts. And I think that, you know, given what we've all gone through with this, um, even if it does return, you know, that doesn't mean there's not another event on the horizon. And I think we all um, realize, you know, whether it was underprepared or just unexpected, um, how quickly this this hit us. Um, I, I think that even when it's a you know quote unquote return to normal, um, people will be better prepared for for events that may come up in the future, and that that's going to uh, have a long lasting impact too. Sarah, thank you for that. That's uh, that's really interesting. That's Sarah Dreyer, who's head of Savills America Research. Now, the one thing we haven't really talked about yet in great detail is the investment point of view and how investors are likely to change as a result of all these tipping points. It's no secret that Asian investment is a key factor driving European and US markets. Simon Smith is head of Savills Asia Pacific Research. He's based in Hong Kong. I caught up with him a while ago and I asked him how things were going right now in his markets. We're beginning to see early signs of of economic life um, in quite a few markets in in the region. I think the big question, even if sort of domestically we allow allow things to ease a little bit, many of these markets, the next question is then how do we handle overseas travel? And most countries here are quarantining people coming in. 
Um, but it's going to be interesting to see next steps in that respect. So that's interesting because, you know, the relationship between Asia and the rest of the world is sort of at the heart of this tipping points idea in Impacts 2020 and particularly sort of trade and investment wars or relationships between China and the US and China and Europe and everything. Do you think this coronavirus crisis is going to fundamentally change the tensions that there have been and otherwise in, in, in between China and the rest of the world? The, the covid crisis has increased tensions between the US and China. President Trump um, has been warning China recently that must adhere to the terms of the first agreement um, and has mentioned, I think, in a speech on the 1st of May, that he could potentially increase tariffs on China um, uh, as part of sort of retaliatory measures. So, yeah, these, these, these trade tensions are certainly bubbling under the surface there. You know, the first trade um, treaty that we saw agreed between the US and China probably involved the easier issues. The more difficult issues were probably put to one side at that point. So there's still an awful lot to get done. And what about the relationship between China and Europe? Is that Because you know, that seemed to be a better relationship. Do you think it's going to be harmed significantly by what's been going on? I think the tensions between China and Europe seem less significant, um, less marked. I don't think Europe is, for example, as strategically committed in this part of the world as the US is. And where does that then leave investment, you know, in, in real estate? You know, what, what does all that mean for, 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 for real estate investment around the world and, and shifts of capital? I think it will accelerate um, the movement of perhaps potentially um, factories, for example, out of China, Businesses, a lot of manufacturing particularly, went to China for cheap land and labor costs. Well, those costs are now rising, as is regulation. On top of that now, you know, we've had the, um, you know, the trade war and, and the elevated risk associated with doing business in China and now COVID. So add to, to costs, add to risk, the need for resilience, and you may see an accelerated move out of China particularly in terms of the manufacturing sector. And in terms of sort of, you know, there's been a lot of money moving from that from your part of the world to, if you like, our part of the world, he says, talking from London. Uh, do, does that, is there, is there an imp- a long-term tipping point impact on that, do you think? Um, certainly in the short term, you know, we saw an 80% fall in intra-Asian cross-border capital flows. Um you know, which is quite significant, and China is very much a part of that. But I don't think it would be China's intention to halt investment into overseas markets. There are so many reasons that that still needs to get done. How well that investment is received is another question. Many markets have already put restrictions on overseas buying. That's Simon Smith, who's head of Savile's Asia-Pacific Research. Now, it's time for the Savile standout stat, but instead of getting everybody to do it, we're just going to concentrate on Paul Tostevin and Sophie Chick, who are the co-leads, as I said, of the Impacts 2020 research. It's their baby. So they must have plenty of stats uh, at their fingertips. I hope they have. Paul, what is your Savile standout statistic relating to Impacts 2020? It's $400 trillion, and that's the pension deficit 
by 2050 in eight of the top global economies. And that's an increase from about 100 trillion today. Now, property is a good match for the long income that pension funds need, and we expect um, allocations to increase in order to address this deficit. So essentially what we're saying there is there's going to be no shortage of investor demand for real estate, even against the backdrop of all the uh, the tipping points we've been discussing. You can always rely on Paul to come up with a big number. Uh, Sophie, what is your Savile standout stat this time around? So my stat is 700 miles an hour, which is the speed that passengers and freight could be travelling in hyperloops, in floating pods, speeding along giant low pressure tubes above or below ground. So sticking with the tech theme, but this is taken from our article about transport innovations and their impact on the logistics sector. There you are. Mind-blowing stuff, as usual. Paul and Sophie and everyone else who's been on uh, this episode of Real Estate, Real Estate Insights as well, of course. Thank you very, very much for your wisdom. That's it for this episode. I hope it's been interesting and useful. One thing I know for sure, we have genuinely only skimmed across the surface of the knowledge embedded in Impacts 2020. So I really recommend that you find your way to the Savills website and uh, and look for more. It's, there's just a, a mountain of stuff of, of important and interesting detail there. Savills.co.uk slash impacts for the specific part of the Savills Research website for this report and this programme. That's it, as I say. If you aren't already a subscriber to Real Estate Insights, then please feel free to become one using your usual podcast provider. You'll be able to fill endless hours with old episodes and you'll get new episodes delivered to you automatically. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.